The last time we were here together, Brother Bird and I, I think it was two years ago, and some of you were here, but as I've been listening to him sing it, I've been thinking about what has changed in his life between two years ago and now. You know that his dear wife has been called home to Jesus. So my guess is, he, as he's singing those songs tonight, there's a special work of the Holy Spirit going on in his life. So I'd like to suggest that we take a moment to pray right now. They're working on it back there, brother. They're trying to figure out what the noise is. So let's just take a, a, a minute or two right now to pray for Brother Bert this week. I know he loves you all very much. That's why he loves to come for this week especially. That God would refresh him this week as he serves you. And that over and over again into his heart and mind would come a picture of how much, may I say, fun his dear wife must be having in God's presence. Would you join me in praying? And if God leads you to pray out loud, would you do that? Just go ahead and pray out loud on behalf of all of us, thanking God for Bert Kettinger, and just asking God to refresh all of us this week. Somebody lead us, please. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you so much for this place and the history of this place, for this building and what you have done here, Lord Jesus Christ, over the decades. Once again, we've come to meet with you. We've come to enjoy this beautiful place that you created. We've come to enjoy the fellowship with one another. We've come to enjoy uh, the profound ministry of our dear brother Bert. My guess is his dear wife is not the only one who has gone home to glory in the last two years. And so I'm asking, Holy Spirit of God, that you would touch every single one of us this week right at a special point where you know we need your touch. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this year I brought something for you, uh, a packet, would you believe that, of all of the notes that we have for this week. Could I ask for a couple of helpers, please? Thank you there, dear brother. And uh, you, you want just one or you want to help me? Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. And I got a couple others helping us. So, one packet per person. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that hopefully will help you. Uh, through this week, there are seven messages that we're going to have together, and I've been preparing these for some time, and I thought it just might help you to have a packet, so we'll have one for one message, uh, one page for every one of our messages. Uh, that doesn't mean don't bring your Bibles. Please do bring your Bibles, but that will help you uh, perhaps uh, in remembering some of the things that God is going to say to us over these next couple of days. Could I ask you, how many of you are the oldest women in your family? Could I see your hand? You're the matriarchs of your family. Thank you. Now, how many of you men are the oldest men in your family, your living family? You're the patriarchs in your family. Do you remember in the Bible, you remember in the Bible how often, especially the Old Testament, the patriarchs and the matriarchs, uh, gather their families around them. Abraham did that. Jacob did that and others. Before they depart, I love that word. Paul uses that rather than death, depart. And they gather their families around them to give them 
blessing, but also to make sure that they understand the important truths of God. You see that I've titled our thoughts for the next few days, Kingdom Living in 22 and Beyond. Anybody else need one, not get one? Got a couple extras, good. I have one, thank you, my brother. (laughs) Thank you very much. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, I would imagine you agree that we live in interesting times, perilous times, confusing times, no matter where you live in the world. When God came here in the person of Jesus, uh, you'll remember he had some disciples and other close friends who were with him a lot. I'm fascinated by the fact that never one time do we have recorded in the Gospels that after a miracle, one of them came to Jesus and said, would you teach me how to do that? How do you feed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch? I'd like to know how to do that. Uh, Peter never came back and said, let me try it again. Teach me how to walk on the water. I didn't do it very well the last time. Never once do we have recorded that they asked Jesus to explain how to do miracles like he did them. Never one time did they ask him, would you please teach us how to speak to thousands of people all at the same time? You know, they only asked him one thing. Dr. Luke tells us that on one occasion they came and said, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? They were fascinated by the way that Jesus prayed, and clearly it was a a centerpiece in his life. There's one line in the middle of what we call the Lord's Prayer. Uh, You remember Jesus said, Thy kingdom come, say it with me, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I've been pondering that a lot as I've watched the news events over the last year or so. What would it be like if his kingdom came and his will was done in families, in marriages, in health care, in business, in politics? What would that be like in our world? So uh, I believe that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, have every right to pray that and ask God, help me to know how to live. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done here in this world, even though I'm surrounded on all sides, no matter where I live in the world, by things that are opposed to the kingdom of God. So if you brought a pencil, you got a pencil to jot down a couple of words tonight, or a pen, Uh, there in your notes, uh, there's a lot of white space around the top. I want you to write two words down. You ready? Finish well. Finish well. At this season of our lives, my dear friends, that should be one of our objectives, to think about how do I finish my earthly journey well and pass on to my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren a legacy that points them to Jesus. Would you agree with that? Here's a second word I want you to write down, influence, influence. If you raised your hand a moment ago as a patriarch or a matriarch, you have the most influential voice in your extended family. You've earned it by the number of years that you've lived. And while sometimes they may not appear to want to hear your opinion, I'm hoping that this week you and I will gather a courage 
and a recognition that you have the right to speak the wisdom that you've learned through your lifetime to your family as part of the legacy that you pass to them. Now, do this with me. Would you just put your hands in front of you like this for just a moment? In your left hand, would you imagine your entire life from your earliest memory to today? All of that is in your left hand. In your right hand is the rest of your life beginning this coming Saturday morning when we're finished with this week. And in between your two hands is this week. This period of time that we will only live once in our entire lifetime, these four or five days together. Now, what does God want to say to you and to me in these next few days that will build on everything that's in your left hand but will make a big difference in the days that remain in your right hand in the people whose life you touch? Hmm? I'm going to give us a, three questions tonight to consider. Here's the first question. You see it in your notes there. Upon what bedrock can I build the rest of my life so I can withstand the storms of our decaying world? If you have your Bibles, wonderful. Matthew chapter 7 is uh, toward the end, you'll remember, of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says some amazing things in that message. And he says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Wow. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house. I'm in verse 25. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. What is the foundation upon which you are building the remainder of your life? And I want to suggest that Jesus says to you and to me, my, his words, whoever hears my words and applies them is like the person building their house on a rock. So that asks a couple questions. Am I interested in hearing God's words? <laughs> uh, when I hear them, will I apply them to my life? May I ask a question? What is your pattern of intake of God's words? What I mean by that is when you consider all of the noise that comes into your ears, all the information any given day, how much of your day is spent listening to what God wants to say to you? Reading his word. Uh, many of you know my father. He lives in Fairhaven. I understand he helped the bus take off this morning, and I'm glad for that. You know that my father's blind, uh, almost entirely blind, which is why he's not here. But my father has a deep love for the Word of God, and so he has asked me to help him arrange his tablet that he can barely see with as big icons as I can get them, so he can just tap it, and then he gets to hear Chuck Swindoll, and he gets to hear John Piper, and he gets to hear his favorite Bible teachers. And uh, if you ever call my father in the morning between breakfast and lunch, you're probably interrupting his time with his favorite Bible teachers and because he has them all lined up all morning long. I know not to call dad in the morning. He's busy intaking 
And he has said to me several times, I think, I really do believe I'm taking in more of God's word every day now at age 95 than ever in my lifetime. And as a result, he has wisdom now even more than he's ever had before. So Jesus says, the foundation of your life, if you want it to be strong in the storms, is my words. So, how much of his words are you taking in? When do you take them in? And how do you apply them? Uh, he says, uh, the man who builds his house on my words. That's a choice, isn't it? What you do with the words of God when you hear them or you read them. Even listening to them sung. It's powerful the way our brother Bert communicates God's word to us in song. It just penetrates, doesn't it? Do you know that uh, your choices tell your story? Every one of us, we are writing our story, the story of our lives with every choice that we make. So Jesus is saying here, it's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to make the choice to apply my words into your life. Then Jesus says, but everyone who hears these words of mine but does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on a sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a crash. I live in Florida, so I understand about building a house only on the sand. It would be foolish. You need a, a firm foundation. And yet, how many people, my friends, hear God's word, but water off a duck's back? It doesn't penetrate. They don't value it. So what's the problem? Is it that they're not hearing? Is it they're not understanding? Is it they don't have the courage to apply it? Is it they're just bold-faced rejecting it? Or, or resisting it. And then what is this storm? The rain came, the streams rose, the wind blew. Help me here for just a moment. It's good for us to interact a little bit. What are the storms as you see them in our world today that are affecting your kids and your grandkids that are making it difficult for them to hold on to God's truth as truth? What are some of the storms? The education system, okay? I saw a hand back there. Okay? Social media. Social media. Oh my, the pressure of social media. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Oh, selfishness, self-worship, right along with that entitlement. Hmm? There's all kinds of storms that are ravaging our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids, which is why it's so important that this week God roots us firmly in the foundation of his word so we can be more helpful to our kids to help them know how to stand against the storms. And then it says, and the house fell with a crash. What are some of these crashes in our society these days? May I give you one or two and then you add a couple more. Would you say that divorce is a house crash? Nobody walks away from a divorce with a clean heart and pure hands. Everybody walks away wounded, especially the children. Would you agree that alcoholism is a house collapsing? Would you agree drug abuse is a house collapsing? How about gambling? We, <laughs> my, my wife and I live in uh, one of six 55-plus communities uh, that are kind of lined up one right after another down in Florida. And uh, they have built little strip malls out on the main drag in front of, the, uh, in front of our 55-plus communities. There are three of them, and there's one common store in all three of those. Guess what it is? 
a casino. You're right. It's amazing, and they're open 24 hours a day. Right in front of retirement communities. They're not stupid. They know there's folks that are getting their pension checks and their Social Security checks, and, well, maybe this time... It's amazing. They have to have pretty big parking lots because there's so many cars lined up in front of the little casinos day and night. When we look at our nation, and this is not a political statement, it's just a statement of the moral values of our nation, the statement of the, the strength of our nation. Do you see a crash, a collapse coming in almost every segment of our society? Okay, so building a foundation, and Jesus says, I have a good idea. Build your house on my words, God's words, and you'll be able to stand strong. So fill your mind and your heart with my word. The second thing I, I believe God says is you have to answer the question, and you have to ask, help your children and grandchildren answer the question, who defines truth and morality? <laughs> Boy, there's a $50,000 question. Would you agree? The book of Isaiah. Do you love the Old Testament? Oh man, I love the Old Testament. You may know that between Isaiah chapter 40 and Isaiah chapter 48, over and over and over, God makes a powerful statement. A short statement, powerful statement. I am God and there is no other. Over and over and over he says it. When you come to 45, Isaiah 45, he says in verse 5, I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me there is no God. He says in verse 6, I am the Lord and there is no other. In verse 12, it is I who made the earth and I created mankind upon it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry hosts. So that when you come to verse 18, for this is what the Lord says, he who created the heavens, he is God. That's important. There's a lot of debate, isn't there, in our world? Who is God? What are the characteristics of God? The number one characteristic of God is He created it from nothing, ex nihilo. He didn't fabricate it. He created it. He spoke it into existence, God. Amen? So the next time somebody says to you uh, something about their God, just ask them, did your God create the universe? Speak it into existence. There's only one God that did that. Right? And because he created it, he has the right to define how it's supposed to work. <laughs> so when you can create something from nothing, then you get to decide how that something is supposed to work. Right? That's what engineers do, right? And uh, that's why, uh, would you agree, men, we tend to take out something new out of the box and try to figure out how it works. And our wife stands there waving this little white piece of paper that says operator's manual, instructions. And we keep banging on it So finally, give me that piece of paper. Because <laughs> the engineer who designed it says, this is how it's supposed to work. That's what God has done. I created it all, and he says, I am the Lord and there is no other. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. There it is. The creator of all has the right to define truth. And all truth that is truth is built on God's truth. 
Now, we live in a world at a time, isn't it true, that there is this philosophy. You define what's good truth for you, and I'll define what's truth for me, and if it's different, well, that's okay. You live by your truth, and I'll live by mine. But that's not what God says. God says, gravity works the way I designed it, whether you like it or not. So don't jump out of a fifth-story window. Right? Right? So when your kids and your grandkids come back from their friends or from school or from, and they're pulling their hair out saying, how do I know what is true? Our answer is God defines truth because God created it. And God defines morality. It says it right there in Isaiah 45. I declare what is truth and I proclaim what is right. God defines moral right and wrong. Wow. You see, my friends, uh, every single living human being has to answer a variety of questions, and here's one. What are the unshakable foundations upon which I'm building my life? One of those is truth. What is true and what is not true, and how do I know? Another one is moral right and wrong. What is right and what is not right, and how do I know? And God answers that by saying, I define truth, and I declare right and wrong. But we have been living in a nation and many other nations in our world that say, no, 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 no. What is true is popular opinion. What is right or wrong is determined in the voters' box, popular opinion or whoever can make the loudest noise, or draw the largest crowd. And God says, no, no. If you insist on living your life built on popular opinion truth, it's going to collapse. If you reject my truth and my moral right and wrong, it will collapse. Third question for us to consider tonight, who is Jesus, and what difference does it make? Uh, you may remember in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is with his disciples, and they've come to this very interesting place by the name of Caesarea Philippi. I've had the privilege of being there, so as I describe it to you, I can see it in my mind. It's a large open field area, and over here is a big hill, and one side of it is sheared off like a cliff. There's a big bubbling spring, so there's a stream of beautiful fresh water that runs out of there. That place was a wonderful gathering place for the caravans, the trade caravans and the shepherds and their animals in ancient times. And they would meet there for uh, obviously the, the water for their animals, but as they traveled there, caravans from all different directions, they would trade. So it was a wonderful, huge, let's call it a farmer's market. Get the picture? <laughs> Well, as they would come there from many places around the world, they would bring with them their idols, their gods. And so they carved in the cliff niches, and they would put their idols there, and they'd leave them there. And then as people would come, they would gather and worship according to the idol niche that they felt most comfortable worshiping. So Jesus is standing there with his disciples, looking at all these big crowds and people in front of each of the niches in the cliff. And he says to them, so who do the people say, I am? You remember that they'd responded, well, some think you're uh, John the Baptist come back to life, and some think you're one of the Old Testament prophets, and Jesus let them talk for a minute or two, and then he pointed right at Simon Peter. Remember, he says, and who do you say I am? Remember what Peter answered? 
You are the Christ, <laughs> the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, think for a moment about each of the people in your extended family. Your siblings, your nieces and nephews, your grandnieces and grandnephews, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. What if you were to sit down and ask each of them that question, who is Jesus to you? What do you think they'd say? First question, who is Jesus? Jesus defines who Jesus is. God defines who Jesus is. Remember, at Jesus' baptism, this is my son, the father said, right? Jesus is God the son, fully God, fully man. Jesus is, help me, how else do you, do, do you, do you define Jesus? Jesus is Savior, thank you. The only Savior of the world because only His blood could purchase our redemption because it's God the Son's blood. Who else? Jesus is? The resurrection and the life. He, when did He say that? Standing at the tomb of Lazarus. I am the resurrection and the life. Who believes in me will live even though they die. Thank you. Jesus is? The way, the truth, and the life, my good brother. That's good. Amen. I am the way, then the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Wonderful. But the world says, no, 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 no. He's a figment of your imagination. <laughs> or he was a good man. Or he did some good things. If you and I, my friends, are going to live well the next season of our lives, however long that is, what do you do with the words of Jesus, and will they be your foundation, as Jesus said in Matthew 7? What do you do with truth and morality and the fact that God defines it? And what do you do with Jesus, right? And tonight, as we begin our time together, I believe God is saying to you and to me, let's get it right from the beginning. This thought occurred to me as I was sitting in an airport today on my way here. All that God has done in every one of our lives to bring us here this week. I bet God the Father, your heavenly Father, is delighted you're here so that you and him can have these days together. Would you just let him love you? Feel his embrace as your heavenly Father. Let him tell you how delighted he is that you are his son or his daughter purchased by the blood. Do you suppose Jesus, your Savior, was excited that you've set aside these days to come to this place and worship and open God's word and enjoy this beautiful place? Do you suppose the Holy Spirit has been working in your heart and in your life this year to prepare you in part for what he wants to do in these days with you? We have several examples in the Bible, as you know, where people got away from the busyness and the noise of the crowd to meet with God, right? Moses hiked up Mount Sinai eight times by my calculation, three times for 40 days and 40 nights. David, of course, frequently with God out on the hillside watching his sheep. Daniel, sometimes some long fasts to meet with God. Wonder what God wants to say to you and do in you in these next days. And I hope that you can wrestle these days with a certainty of who is Jesus 
and who is Jesus in your life? And I would urge you to think about having that conversation with your family, one at a time, so that you know what they think about who is Jesus. You remember that Jesus said to Peter, <laughs> on that truth, the identity of Jesus Christ, I will build my church. And he also said, as you see there in your notes, that Peter, you didn't read that in a book someplace. You just didn't figure that out. God himself has made that known to you. You'll see there I have for you 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for their foolishness to him, because they are spiritually discerned. My prayer is this week the Holy Spirit is helping us learn together, grow together, be certain together about vital important truths. On this truth, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. What are some of the gates that are holding people imprisoned? How about the gate of confusion? I just don't know what voice to, to listen to. So I don't listen to any voices or I listen to all of them. I'm just confused. I don't know what the truth is. Do you hear that sometimes? Hmm. How about the gates of depression? Do you know anybody who's caught deeply in that horrible enslavement of depression? Occasionally even thinking about just taking their life and ending it. But Jesus said, nothing can hold people back. Once they turn to me and trust in me, I can break any shackle and set anyone free. Amen? And I give you now, lastly, four what I call guardrails. So once you've decided what the foundations are that you're building your life on and you start driving this last season of our lives, here's four guardrails. First, all from Psalm 119, verse 34. Give me understanding, O God, and I will obey your law with all my heart. My prayer is these four days together, God's going to give us fresh understanding of his word. You see, I have it linked there with Psalm 111. <laughs> the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right? Right? Psalm 119.35, Direct me, O God, in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Really, honestly now, what, what most delights your soul? Remember in Psalm 37, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. You remember that? Can we help our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids not so much delight in Amazon.com where everything is available and at your door within 24 hours and delight in a relationship with Jesus. Delight in the Holy Spirit of God at work in their lives. The third one, turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Wow. Wow. Our hearts. As you think about the priorities in your life, that's part of why you're here this week. You've prioritized setting aside four days to be with God. Oh, if we could help our kids and our grandkids learn to prioritize properly, making sure that Jesus is right at the top of the priority list, what a difference that would make. And the last one, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. 
Wow, so much distracting our eyes and drawing them away from Jesus. That's why I put Hebrews 12 there, you remember? Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders, hinders the work of God in our lives, hinders us from being all God is trying to develop us into being, and the sin that so easily entangles, oh my, and let us run with perseverance the race he has marked out for us with our eyes fixed on Jesus, right? The author and the perfecter of our faith. Now, what I did for each of our times together, if you just turn that page over, you're going to see there's about six questions on the back. Those are just some reflection questions for you to ponder what God's been saying to you tonight. And as you get back to your room later on this evening, maybe you just want to take those out and read down through them and speak to the Lord Jesus about what we've looked at in his word tonight. At my advanced age, what is the foundation upon which I'm building the rest of my life? Is that different from the foundation I built my life on years ago? And why? What do my adult children, my grandchildren, even my great-grandchildren think about Almighty Holy God being the one who defines truth and moral right and wrong? What's their opinion about that? How can I help them? Who is Jesus Christ? Hmm. What difference does Jesus make in my extended family? What is Jesus' role in my family? And other questions. I'm going to draw our time each time we're together to a close with a song for us to listen to, in this case, this evening, for us to also watch. It's a choir that's going to sing a wonderful song for us, and there's no instrument, so it's a cappella. And I think the words are real clear. You've probably heard this song before. It's called, Order My Steps in Your Word, O God. Because at this stage of our lives, for all of us, uh, we don't have really all that many more steps, not like we did 25 or 30 years ago. So God, help me that every step I take now in the rest of my life is a God-ordered, God-ordained step. Please, brothers. I want to walk worthy, want to walk worthy, according to thy will. Please order my steps, please order my steps, Lord, and I'll do your blessed will. The world is ever changing, it keeps changing, but you are still the same. Please order my steps, Lord, I'll praise your name. Order my steps in your word, order my tongue. In your word, guide my feet. In your word, wash my heart. In your word, show me how to walk. In your word, show me how to talk. In your word, when I need a brand new song to sing, show me how to make your praises ring. In your word, in your word, please order my steps, Lord, order my steps, please order my steps. In your word, I want to walk worthy, want to walk According to thy will, please order 
Jesus Christ, how would our lives be different if every morning when we got out of bed, that was our prayer? Please order my steps today, Lord. Please guide my thinking today, Lord. Please guard my mouth today, Lord, so that my words, all of them, honor you. Thank you, O oh God, for bringing us together for these four days. Thank you for bringing Brother Bert here. Oh, he's already blessed us. But we're asking that you would do a work in each of our lives these next days through the power of your word applied to our minds and our hearts by your Holy Spirit. In your name I pray. Amen.